Here to discuss all things NRL, AFL, and anything sports related. Please give a warm Aussie g'day to the footy fanatic and America's own Corey Jackson in Outside the Sheds. Greetings and salutations. I don't know about you, but listen to that intro. Does that not get you going? I'm saying a good drum beat, some in-your-face punk riff, and I tell you, what, what better way to cap it off than the pearly pipes of David Lindsay? I uh, thank you again, David, for again adding the voice to Outside the Sheds. Again, I think last week when we started our great meeting together, we talked about Mother Nature and how great the seasons felt changing outside. And I said, do you feel that in the air? Do you smell that? That, that, that finals were approaching, that we were about to embark into the most exciting part of the NRL and AFL seasons, and that's finals. Well, ladies and gentlemen, lo and behold, we are a week away. The finals are kicking off starting October 1st, AFL final week one. That's right, AFL final week one. And we've got some incredible matches. I think, you know, I don't want to say I'm a, I'm a prognosticator or anything like that, but I will if I have to. But I think last week I pretty much nailed a lot of things down, didn't I? So I hope you're keeping at home some of my picks, some of the things I say may come to fruition, because I usually hit it. And it's not being arrogant. It's not being brash. I'm just kind of telling you how it is. And it came to pass. And it came to pass starting off with Port Adelaide holding serve, beating Collingwood, beating the Pies, and locking down that number one seed. They locked down that number one seed, meaning that you're going to have to go through Adelaide, one of my favorite cities, to try to go to the grand final. So what we have is a matchup between a club that is really up and coming, a club that has won one premiership in Port Adelaide, going up against the number four seed to start off week one of the finals on Thursday night at Adelaide Oval, it's going to be Port Adelaide taking on the hoops. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say the hoops, well, stick stick with us because we're going to help you. There's a lot of things you might not know, but by the time we're done and by the time you fully get indoctrinated into being a shedhead, we will get you in the right place and you'll know what we're talking about here. But the hoops, ladies and gentlemen, are the Geelong Cats. And I know some great cat supporters and they're some good people. They're really good people. They'd give you the shirt off their back. Maybe not the Guernsey off their back, but they'd give you the shirt off their back. And that is going to be an epic throwdown at Adelaide Oval. You've got a team that wants to maybe start a trek to multiple premierships in Port Adelaide. Kind of the benchmark of the season so far up to this point. Um, like I said last week, Brisbane's been right there, uh, making sure that Port Adelaide didn't drop serve. But they're going to have to get over a team that if you know anything about Aussie rules football, the AFL, in the Geelong Cats, has been a team that I would say is the equivalent to a Boston Red Sox, New York Yankees, Dallas Cowboys type of franchise. Um, and I'm not forgetting the Hawthorne Hawks right now when I talk about this because there are some 
some really great sides in the AFL that have deep, deep history. But Geelong is a is a club that when you see that Guernsey, when you see that, you know who you're talking about. You know who they are. They're not changing their Guernseys every year to to up sales. They are the hoops, and they are going to bring the fight to Port Adelaide. The, their back is against the wall going into Adelaide Oval, and really for 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 Geelong, this is the pandemic is really going to benefit them in the standpoint that they don't have to to play in front of a raucous Port Adelaide, full Adelaide Oval crowd. And this is the thing that we're kind of noticing, and I'm not I'm not changing right now when I'm talking about this. We're not when I when I bring up the bubble in the NBA right now. But the only thing that's changing is is the, the the uniform colors. These teams are playing on the same floor day in and day out in the in the in the NBA finals. And so there's really not a home and away advantage. So when Geelong goes up to Adelaide Oval, it's a lot easier to hear calls being made and hearing players talk to one another in front of 20,000 to 35,000 compared to 80,000. And I know a lot of us haven't stood in front of 80,000 people screaming at the top of their lungs uh, after having just one pint of beer, <laughs> just one, right? Um, but it is a different environment. Some people say that truthfully what we're seeing right now because of the lower crowds is we're really actually feeling a little bit more closer to the action on the field without all of the outside noise. We're hearing the players talk to one another. We're hearing maybe a few words you don't want your kids to hear. I don't know. I don't know what type of household you run, but uh, I know that I would be in a little bit of trouble using a little bit of that language. But, But what I'm saying is you feel really what's going on down at the field. You hear it, and you feel really immersed in what's going on. Now, as I went off on that tangent, what I'm telling you is a team that has the experience, the pedigree, you've got Joel Salwood, you've got you've got Dangerfield, you've got some players in Geelong that have been there, done it, and want to do it again. Because Geelong knows, even though they are trying to build a roster up of young guns or younger players, that some of their some of their cornerstones are coming close to an end and this top four finish by Geelong if they could get over the top of Port Adelaide at Adelaide Oval and get a week to rest Geelong is looking strong if they can do this now that's a huge 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 ask to go in Adelaide Oval and to do this but looking at this these the clubs in the top four right now there's maybe only one other club I'm, I'm looking at that could possibly do that. And that's the team that's the number three seed, the Richmond Tigers. So Geelong, good luck this week. Port Adelaide, you've, you've earned this home game for a reason. I just hope to see some great footy. And I think Thursday night, what a game to, click, to kick off finals week one. Um, but, but seeing... Port Adelaide and Geelong and Adelaide Oval and a special place. I've been at Adelaide Oval and it is a very, very cool stadium. Uh, I told you earlier I love Adelaide as a city, um, but it's a pretty special place. Now, are you kidding me? 
Night two of finals week one, Friday night at the Gaba. We get to see the Brisbane Lions take on the Richmond Tigers. The battle of cats. Who do you got? Do you like a lion? Do you like a tiger? But it is going to be a throwdown. Because when you get players that really feel that you're trying to take away that best player from them and give it to another player, I think that's what you're going to feel here. And I don't like throwing names around right now, but I'm going to say one name right now, and that's Dustin Martin. And Dustin Martin's not going to win the Brownlow this year. But guess who can look like a Brownlow player by winning the finals MVP and leading his team to three premiership trophies in the last four years? And that's Dustin Martin. And Dustin Martin is by far my favorite AFL player to watch. The power, the strength, the moxie that he plays with, um, the just natural raw ability, and a killer. He's a gun. When I when I think of when I use that word gun, I think of Dustin Martin. He's a he's a sports car that can go all wheel drive if you need it to. I'm saying he'll get dirty if he has to. He'll kick a goal from angles you're not expecting. But this guy is that player that you'll t- you're going to be talking about for years. And, R- and Richmond has a few of those. Trent Cochin, you know, to captain a team that has the chance of winning three premierships in four years like Kachi has right now. I'd only say Haji from Hawthorne uh, when he won the, the, the treble a few years ago. You just have to be a special player to control the guys, to have the guys look at you at res- with respect. And let's put it this way. No captain, and not Haji, not Kachi, none of these captains right now before 2020 have had to experience COVID. None of us have. And you have a lot of Victoria clubs that are up in Queensland. And thank, thank you again, Queensland, for opening your border and, 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 and treating these teams with such respect and, and, and letting the GABA be hold uh, the grand final or this uh, in, a, in a few weeks. But it is, it is not like anything we've experienced. You can say modern-day athlete are softer than the guys back, you know, 20, 25, 30, 40 years ago. But no athlete since the Spanish flu, and I don't remember what your team favorite team was during the Spanish flu was, but I, I can tell you I can't remember mine, has had to go through this. Being separated from families, being separated from loved ones, being separated from your favorite bar to go have a beer, to unwind after the game with your mates. It just is a different time. And I really felt this entire time, no matter what sport you're talking about, no matter if it's rugby league, Aussie rules football, the teams that are going to win are the teams that have the best chemistry inside the sheds teams and players that actually like each other. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. We're seeing the teams that just have this feeling when you watch them that that you can just see that these guys like to hang out together. These guys enjoy each other's company. These guys are there if their mate falls down to pick them up. 
And those are the clubs that you see that are rising to the top in all of them, you know, from from the clubs that were that are in the top four in the AFL to the top four clubs that I would say, I'd say top five clubs in the NRL right now because Canberra is, is one game outside of the top four and that might not be the way by the end of this, this coming weekend. But those clubs just have this feeling of w- one team, one man, meaning everybody is in this together. So that is what we're seeing here. But going back to, 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 to the Lions and Tigers match, Lions and Tigers and Bears, oh my, at the GABA on, thir- on Friday night, this game is going to be the young guns of Brisbane being able to hold face at God. And again, think about this. Just think about a full GABA welcoming in the Richmond, the Richmond Tigers on a Friday night after being able to go to the pub for a couple hours to, how should I say, pre-match for the fans and to have full throat to go out there to scream for three hours. Well, you're not going to get that. And, and the problem now is a young team that is still trying to get over the top. And don't forget, everybody, Richmond put Brisbane to the sword last year in the finals. So they have history together. But you're also going to be talking about a Richmond team that feels we're, we're, it's not a good, us against the Lions and their fans. It's pretty much just us against a younger team. And Richmond's beat them earlier in the season. And I just really feel that you're going to see a premiership club coached by Damian Hardwick that's going to step to the surface and step to the forefront and show you why they scream yellow and black so with such pride. They're going to be there, and they're going to be ready, I think, by week three when it's time to play to go to the grand final or or play one more round closer to the grand final. I just think this is a club that, that just, for whatever reason, gets it, and they get it at the right time. So that is our top four matchups. After that, we've got the bottom four. The, 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 the teams that don't have a chance to make a mistake. And that kicks off Saturday night. We've got a doubleheader. The first match is St. Kilda. Welcome back to the finals. Saints, welcome back. Against the Western Bulldogs. The Doggies. And the Dogs, again, being the Dogs, have had to play their best footy at the end of the season or they wouldn't have even made it to the final. They wouldn't have even made it into the top eight. And it was so close that if they did not win against Fremantle, they wouldn't have made it into the final. The the D's, the Melbourne Demons, would have been in, in, in this spot. But Western held their nerve, woke up about halfway through the third quarter, and remember what they were playing for. And they make it into the final, not even as the eighth seed, but jumping up to the seventh seed and having to play St. Kilda. This, this game, folks, may not be the prettiest football you're going to watch all weekend, but I will tell you this. These two young clubs are going to leave it all out on the field. I think that this will be some emotional, in-your-face football. For one, 
these type of finals are exciting because don't forget, if you don't understand how the finals break down, the bottom four clubs, it's win, it's, 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 it's win or go home. So teams' seasons are going to end that first weekend. And that's why it's so important to finish in the top four because you get a chance to have a bad day and then still have a chance to fight. There's no more bad days for the teams five through eight. Your bad days are over. It's just done. So you better show up because there's no excuses. You know what's on the line. You know what you have to do. And St. Kilda and the Western Bulldogs are going are gonna to throw down. And I, I can't stress that enough. I don't know. that This is a, a pick'em game. I, I, I've looked at it a lot of different ways. You know, from the dogs having to play. You know, St. Kilda's been a little bit more fortunate where they haven't had to worry too, too much about falling out of the top eight. But the dogs haven't had that. And so they've been feeling like they've been playing playoff football for a few weeks. And sometimes I tell you, teams that feel like they have their back to the wall like that, and let alone a bulldog. You ever had to fight a bulldog? Let alone, if you win, you're going to be covered in saliva. He's, he's, he's a mess. But he's a warrior. He's a little stubby, pudgy warrior. And that's bulldog football. It's not going to be pretty. And they're just gonna they're just gonna be all over you. So really, this is a pick'em. This is a pick'em. But I'm gonna tell you the 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 one who's left standing at the end of this match is gonna be a dangerous, dangerous team. Will be a very dangerous team. And one of the, and whoever they match up with the next round are already gonna be a team that's lost and are gonna be trying to get their wits about them. And either St. Kilda and Western Bulldogs are going to be feeling very good about themselves. So that is th- th- that circle this one because this whoever wins this match is going to do some damage. And then finishing out f- finals week one up at Optus Stadium, the West Coast Eagles against Collingwood, the Magpies. And I told you last week, what did I say? I said... The Pies did not match up well to Port A. And they were probably going to lose, which they did. And that there was a chance they could fall into the eighth spot. And look who's in the eighth spot. And look who has to go to the West Coast. But Collingwood. And this is a big match for you Pies fans. This is a big, big match. Because there's a lot of contracts on the table from Degui to a few players that if they don't win this game against Western, and I'm going to say this, West Coast, the Eagles, by every means are the favorite to win this match. This will be an upset if Collingwood wins this game. But this is a big match for the Pies because you could see a lot of things crumble in Collingwood if they do not win. Excuse me. If they don't win this, I think you're going to see some some players move to other clubs that I think two years ago you might have thought as a future staple for the next five to seven years in Collingwood. And and to my AFL novices here, an Aussie Rules player or or a, a person that knows the game knows this is such a physical, taxing sport. There's no guarantee five years from now. 
But these guys were some of the young, up-and-coming players. And there's no guarantee they're going to be wearing the prison bars after this season. The best way to keep them, the best chance to keep them is for Collingwood to remember who they are and to battle like they've never battled for a very long time, even though they did have a, a good season uh, a couple seasons ago, played for the grand final. So, matter of fact, played for the grand final against West Coast and really had their hearts ripped out by West Coast winning late. So there is some some history with these two clubs playing against each other in big, big games. And I think you're going to see both teams play well, but I think really West Coast is going to run over the top over them by, by the time it's all said and done. So what a way to kick off outside the sheds this week, but talking a little AFL and, and, and finals week one, because this is going to be a, a really incredible final series. I don't know anybody who's ever told me or tried to tell anybody when a team finally lifts the trophy at the end of the year after an AFL season that it wasn't a hell of a series to get to where one team did it. And this year, whoever lifts a trophy in 2020 and lifts that COVID trophy, congratulations to you. Because I think if you know sports and you just don't watch it for 10 minutes a day, Whoever wins this through everything that you have to go through wins a trophy in 2020. Um, there should be an asterisk next to your name because you didn't just have to win on the field. You had to keep yourself in check off of the field. And we've, we've followed a lot of professional athletes during time. It's not the easiest thing to keep yourself on the straight and narrow during the season, let alone being quarantined and not being around friendly and family and friends. So um, looking forward to it. Really looking forward to the October 1st kickoff of finals week one. My next big point here, and oh my gosh, did I not say this? We're changing the landscape right now. We're in, four, we're in our 40, 4020s right now. So we're, we're talking some stories now. So that's what we're doing here. This is not just me ranting and raving at you, even though I know you love it. But we're talking major stories. The next big thing that I want to go into was week 19 in the NRL. And I can't say anything more. Does your ankle or knee hurt? Because there's a lot of players around the league right now that got injured in round 19 that totally changed the landscape of what's going to happen in the finals. And in origin. Last week we went into uh, state of origin, what that means and what that is. But some of these players that have been injured now are now going to be out of the Origin Series, too. Some of them are in teams that aren't even going to make it to the top eight to play finals football. But we've got some injuries. And starting off with the most important one and the biggest one of this weekend was Sean Johnson. Sean Johnson was leading... Sean Johnson from the Cronulla Sharks, if you didn't know. Let's let's make sure the Sharks Nation gets their shout-out. Up, up, Cronulla. But Sean Johnson... Took some some really serious heat at the beginning of the season and woke up and is leading the competition in try assists with 23. Sean Johnson had un- the unfortunate task at hand last weekend, like we went over, and that was to take on, I think, your favorites to win the premiership, the, the Sydney Roosters. As you can expect, the, the Chookies got on top of him early. And Sean Johnson was trying to pull the Sharkies back into contention in the match. 
And if you've ever watched Sean Johnson play, he's one of the most dynamic players to watch. He's got a right foot step that breaks ankles for a living. He, he's got speed. He's got silky smooth moves. He's just, he's a joy to watch. He's, he's what I said earlier. He's a sports car that's got six gears. He's, he's just fun. And Sean Johnson was taking the Sharks down the field and was getting close to the try line, took the ball, took a step, went to his right step to do a, a move, a shake, whatever he was getting ready to do. And the maestro went down like he got hit with a sniper rifle from 50 yards. Now, if you know anything about sports, when a guy goes down and no one touches him, the first thing you think about is knee. And unfortunately, over the last five years, the next thing you think about is the Achilles. And the way that Sean rolled over on his back and started reaching down with his ankle and his ankle wasn't flopping around or anything, so you knew it wasn't a broken ankle, was you're like, no, no way. And unfortunately, after scans, it was proven, Sean Johnson ruptured and tore his Achilles tendon on his most dominant leg, his right leg. First off, my condolences to Cronulla because you're now going to probably limp into the eighth seed when you probably had a chance with with a strong Sean Johnson of possibly winning round 20 and maybe having a chance to be the seventh seed, which means you probably wouldn't have to play either Parramatta or Canberra in the first round of the playoffs. But now you're going to go in with a rusty Chad Townsend who's been on the on the sidelines for the last three, three weeks for suspension, and you're going to have a halves combination that's not going to include the most dynamic playmaker you have on your, on your team in Sean Johnson. Cornell, you already had your hands full up to this point, but you're in a world of hurt now. And you've had a great season. You've had a, well, I don't know. You know, it's up to you what you consider a great season. But to, to, to play this game, to play NRL footy, and to make it in the top eight, you've had a great season. Let me put it to you this way. West Tigers fans, would you like to be in the eighth seed right now? Exactly. That's all I need to say. So you've had a great season. But I want to, I want to, I want to dig a little deeper here. You may, I, I just mentioned about a minute ago that Sean Johnson's number one move is that right, that right foot dummy where he plants that right foot, shakes his head from side to side, and all of a sudden he's past you going left. In America, we've seen what the Achilles injury we can do. It probably, it probably shortened Kobe, Kobe Bryant's career. Kobe was never the same player after he ruptured his Achilles. And he was the Mamba up until that point. But the problem is he couldn't be the Mamba game in and game out after that. And Kobe, the training that he did, the rehab that he did to try to come back to be Kobe Bryant again, and he, it, it, it finally was his last season. He just, you know, he, he did what he had to do. And even though he went out with the, the greatest final game in the history of a player having a final game, that was it. Now, Sean Johnson is younger than Kobe Bryant at the same time in their careers. But that explosion that you get 
from pushing off like that. I don't know when we ever see the, the same Sean Johnson ever again. And the problem with Sean up until this season was that he's had every season over the last three years pretty much cut short because of some type of nagging injury where he's just not been able to finish and complete a full season without getting nicked up or hurt. And it's back again. And you got to feel for the guy because he was two rounds away from playing his finals football. And and to be that close, to almost taste it, and the guy just had, him and his, his, his wife just had a baby girl and being able to have that much feeling of ex- excitement. And don't forget, Sean just came back from a groin injury that he had been out with for about three weeks. So you wonder if that compounding groin injury maybe made him move like, He wouldn't have moved before. I don't know. But will we ever see, quote unquote, Sean Johnson again? The way that we know Sean Johnson. And I know every player changes his game as he gets older and and, and gets a little bit longer in the tooth in his career. But that's a real big question. That's a really big question. How does Sean Johnson come back from this type of injury? In that same match... The Sharks, the Sharkies also, Royce went down, Royce Hunt went down. He ruptured his patella tendon. He's done for the finals. And then Josh Dugan. And I think Josh Dugan, if if we would cut Josh Dugan and peel back his skin, I think that all of his joints have some form of duct tape around it right now. And then we pull back the tattoos over the top of it. I think that's why that I think that's why Dukes has so many tattoos is that he's covering up the duct tape that's holding them together. But Josh Dugan got hurt again. He injured his knee. Now they're saying Josh is going to be fine. He's not going to he's not going to play this weekend, and they're going to save him for finals week one. But Josh Dugan is hurt. So that's three big injuries. Two of them that are not going to be in the side at all for the finals. And a Josh Dugan that's going to come in nicked up for a Cronulla Sharks team that is already has a big, big task at hand in front of them trying to either beat the Eels or the Raiders in week one. The next big injury that we had, and this was huge, and this was really, really sad, was seeing Tommy Turbo go down. Tom Trevojevic, I don't know, ladies and gentlemen, if I had or seen a player that has had more bad luck, that has more talent than Tom Travojevic. The, the, the guy's hamstrings, he must be a deer because his hamstrings are more susceptible to injury than any player that I've ever seen. And Turbo, you could see him running because it was his first match back this weekend. And you could see that he was a little hesitant. And again, Turbo is one of those players that's like a fine sports car. He's got six gears. He explodes away. He's built like a deer. He's, he's tall. He's lanky. He's six foot four. Um, he's, he's a really exciting player to watch. In last year's Origin Series, him at center really was maybe one of the key, one of the key catalysts in why the Blues got over the top in the series. But Tommy Turbo injured himself on his comeback match again. The only fortunate part about this is that it wasn't from the from the waist down. Tommy Turbo injured his shoulder. And even after the match, his brother Jake was doing an interview for the media, and you could see the tears in, the, in his brother's eyes that his brother just can't get a break. He just can't catch a break. 
And the one thing as an athlete that you can't do is play the game hesitant or thinking of injury or you will get injured. I promise you a lot of things. And one of the things that will come to fruition of all my promises is if you play to not get hurt, you may not hurt what you don't want to hurt, but you will hurt something else on your body. And you just hope that these weeks and these last couple of seasons of injuries for Turbo has not set a precedent of what we're going to see for a player that a lot of people really think is, is one of the key marquee players going forward in the game. And you just wonder if, if, if there's just, if he's just going to be one of those guys that you said, I'm, I'm going to tell you, he's one of those special ones, but he just couldn't stay healthy. Now, Turbo is hoping that he can, that he can heal up and be back for Origin, which starts in the beginning of November. But if I was if I was one of the big stakeholders or Desi Hasler, the coach of Manly, would I really be saying, Tommy, I want you back out there to play the the hardest hitting three games after your you haven't played almost four, three and a half, four months of straight football? I don't know. I, I personally would say no. But I know athletes. You can't you can't tell somebody that has that type of fighting spirit to to put it on the shelf and to sit back. So we're gonna have to see. We're gonna have to see what happens with Tom Travojevich. You know, Benji Benji Marshall injured his shoulder about three years in a row for a while back in the mid two thousands, and and Benji even will tell you that he was one shoulder injury away from saying he was gonna hang up the boots, that he was gonna retire, and you know. Thank God for all of us that didn't happen and the Benji has stayed healthy. But injuries can inj- you know, end a career before it even started for some. And so hopefully Tom bounces back, he heals up and gets better. Now these last injuries that we had up, we, there's still some big ones. Um, jo- John Bateman hyperextended his elbow for Canberra. The good thing with Bateman is he's going to be back for the finals, he's, but he is going to re- miss round 20. Suliasu Vinivalu for Melbourne, um, who the Storm are going to need him. And Felici Kafusi from Melbourne, both of those guys. Um, Vinivalu's got a, an injured hamstring, and Kafusi's got a knee injury. They're thinking they're both going to be back round one. But this is, a, this is a Melbourne team that's getting closer to the end than the beginning, with Cameron Smith um, hinting that he may retire or he may move on to a different club at the end of the season. But... The Storm have to win now because when you have a guy that's going to be the ninth immortal, you just better understand that, uh, or wait a second, that could be the 10th immortal. Let's just say immortal, everybody. I, I mean, you know, what? who cares what you are as long as they call you immortal, right? But Cam Smith is closer to the end than he is the beginning. And there's a lot of the big battle of who's going to be the next hooker down there, the next dummy half. But... Melbourne's got to win now, and they've got a number two seed. They're, they've pretty much locked down the number two seed, so they're going to be there. But you're going to need Kafusi and you're going to need Vinavalu to go over the top. So these guys have to come back healthy. So I don't know if you see it on your door, but I see a gigantic red cross on my door because the injuries have really mounted. And, and I'm going to tell you, and I'm going I'm to do a little segue here, a little bit of a change 
I think it's I think it's an, a, a worldwide thing, and I think it's a COVID thing again, where I think a lot of these players have not just been able to preseason train. They have not been able to do contact drills. They have not been able to do preseason scrimmages. And that is also tr- that's also happened over here in America. Last week was the same thing. It was, it was Red Cross Central. The San Francisco 49ers probably are, don't have a chance now because of Joey Bosa going down with an ACL injury and another one of their linemen going down with an injury. Um, that could be their season. Week two into it, let alone Jimmy Garoppolo has an a high ankle sprain now. And the in the in the NFC West, you don't have a time to take a week off. You've got the Seahawks. You've got uh, you've got the, the Cardinals playing with maybe the most dynamic quarterback in the league right now with Kyler Murray. You've just got a a, a conference that is not going to stop for anybody. But again. No matter if we're talking NFL, no matter if we're talking NRL. And I think you don't see these type of injuries happening as much in the AFL because the guys' bodies are built a little bit different. They're built like distance runners. And they're used to putting the miles on. They're used to that type of, of movement for the way they train. I can go out and run 10 miles and, be, and still keep at that type of fitness. Yeah, I'm not tackling, but that lower body injury, my legs are totally different being a sprinter than they are being a distance runner. Um, you just don't have that to have that that right out of the block gun going off explosion like you have to have as an NRL player and as an NFL player. Um, you're, you're built for the long haul as an AFL player. But I do think that COVID is going to be you know, I think whoever wins the NRL championship and whoever wins the AFL championship, besides camaraderie, is going to come down to who stays the healthiest too. And and, and let me and, and let's be honest, there are going to be injuries in both competitions when it comes to playoff time. And every single one of these clubs, you have to think about that. Is one main injury player away from really dropping in the chance of winning a premiership? My last hitting point in 4020s is upcoming matches because we've got two incredible ones. We've got two, I don't like to use the H word, but God, is it fun, isn't it? We've got two battles of hate. The Battle of Queensland and the Battle of Sydney. We've got the Broncos and Cows Thursday night. And this is a big match. Neither one of these clubs are going to be playing finals football. But this is bragging rights. And you don't think that that the North Queensland Cowboys wouldn't love to put the stick to the Broncos so they finish with the worst season in club history and to, and to hand them their wooden spoon after the match? Because, ladies and gentlemen, that's what happens. If, if North Queensland beats Brisbane or if the Bulldogs somehow beat a a Penrith team that's resting quite a few players. The Brisbane Broncos, the team that a lot of people say is the cornerstone of the NRL, the pride of the NRL. Now, I know a lot of Chookies fans are going to say you're out of your mind about that too, so let's, you know, I'm sorry, Rooster fan. I'm not saying that I believe that, but, but if the Broncos lose 
Or if the doggies win, the Broncos get the wooden spoon. And and to put that into comparison, Yankee fan, who might be the most whiny and complaining fan, besides their team they hate just as much, the, the, the Boston Red Sox, that you guys aren't any better. But Yankee fan, if they get ridiculed if they don't make the playoffs let alone finish in last place. And that's what I want you to compare this to. If Brisbane finishes in last place, this isn't them not making the playoffs. They're the worst club in the competition. The worst. Bottom of the barrel. And a lot of people have been upset with how the Broncos administration, more importantly, the players, have reacted with this. They've been pointing the finger at Coach Seabold. Well, Anthony Seabold's been gone for a few weeks now, guys, and you still haven't done anything. After a while, it becomes a, a matter of you holding yourself accountable for your play on the field. And they haven't done it. And I don't know why, after watching them play the last 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, I don't know, can I, I, should I just keep counting? Weeks? Why anyone would think that the Brisbane Broncos are going to show up and play their best football this week and come over the top of the Cowboys. I don't see it happening. And truthfully, how both teams have played all year, the Bulldogs do not deserve to finish with the wooden spoon. They played with heart. They just have had every bad break in the book when it comes to finishing out games. And they've showed heart, something that Brisbane has not showed. So that is going to be really exciting to see, is to see this match. And fo- and truthfully, folks, that's the only reason to watch it, besides seeing two teams that really dislike each other, battling for the, for the bragging rights in their state, and to see if the Cowboys can laugh walking off the field after they humbled the Brisbane Broncos again. The next big match is the Battle of Sydney. And this one I have, and and again, my great friend, the voice, David Lindsay, got me into this match. But it was the Chooks and the Bunnies. Your two-time defending premieres against Russell Crowe. That's right, everybody. Gladiators, boys. Or Wayne Bennett's boys. I don't, I don't care. <laughs> Whatever you want to say. But this is a big match. Because the Bunnies have to go into the finals with a little bit of momentum. And they lost to the Dogs this last week. 26-16. And they seemed like they slept walk for the first 15 minutes of the match. Which let the Bulldogs find some belief, take a lead, and hold on and win. But the Bunnies and the Roosters is such... An emotional, I don't like you, you don't like me. There are players that play for the Chooks, Luke Carey, a few others that have played for the Bunnies. There's the under the, 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 the behind the curtains, whisper, 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 the Luke Carey gladiator battle. You have to look that up, everybody. But Russell Crowe and Luke Carey had allegedly a might have come to blows at a resort 
but you know, I, I digress. We don't gossip on outside the sheds. We don't gossip. But this match is going to be really fun to watch. And I think the thing that's going to make it really, really exciting also is I think the Roosters are going to rest some players to be ready for week, week one. And, and because of that, South Sydney may have a little bit more advantage to get in there. But it is still going to be fun. Both teams, are. it's going to be hard-hitting. There will be some right-to-the-brink points of almost punch-ups, some biffs going on there. But if you get a chance, this match is actually going to be shown here in the States at 4.30 a.m. Central Time on Fox Sports 1. So set your DVRs for this. Watch this match. You'll get a feeling of what it's going to be like going into finals week one. And really embrace it. Because I think it'll it'll really, if you don't know the game, and you're kind of listening to me talk as, we're, as we've been going through this Shedheads, this game will be one that really will make you go, huh, this game's fun. So again, 4.30 a.m., Fox Sports 1, Watch the Roosters and the Chook. I mean, the, the Chookies, the Roosters against the Bunnies. It's going to be a fun one to watch. On a side note, and this was something I wasn't even going to talk about, but all of a sudden I thought, why not? Saturday night is going to be a big, big match for Benji Marshall. It is his last match for the West Tigers, a club he loves. I talked about this a few weeks ago. I don't know what direction the West Tigers are going in, but for some reason they're letting one of their biggest champions of the uh, of the club walk out the door to hold on to a few players. I have no idea what they think they're going to get for them in the future. But if this is also going to be on Fox Sports One on I guess it would be Friday morning or Friday or Saturday morning. It's a four thirty match again, so it's four thirty a.m. Saturday morning on Fox Sports 1. But this man's a champion. He may have the greatest pass in NRL Finals history in the in the 2005 Grand Final. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him in in at the Auckland Nines in 2016. And and Benji Marshall for being where he's been, being the face of the NRL at one time couldn't have been more friendly and open to meeting a bloke from America than anybody. And I have to admit, the players that I've met NRL-wise have been 100% friendly and open. Um, So really champion this man out. And I hope Benji goes out flying. He's playing the Parramatta Eels. So it's already a match that's got a little bit of bad blood going into it. So that could still be really something fun to watch because I tell you, there'd be nothing, nothing more exciting for Tigers, the Tigers fans and Benji to then to beat the Eels and knock them out of the top four so Canberra can sneak in there and, and, and really probably dash the chances Parramatta really have of, of, of making a push to possibly winning a premiership. But... Definitely watch him, but even if you don't, I really wanted to give a shout-out to Benji Marshall um, and thank him so very much 
um, for just the game that he's played and also the way he's carried himself with how the way the Tigers have treated him and, and kind of pushed him out the door at a club that he loves. So 4.30 a.m. Saturday morning, uh, check that match out. Well, I think I'm ready to go to you. I know your favorite part of this. Well, all of it's your favorite. But let's talk about the guns for this week. Now I'm going to go with a gun that that I'm going to say a lot of people... He's not flashy, guys. Let's just put it this way. My number one gun for this week is Mitch Oppison. And Mitch Oppison did something this week that a lot of people did not think we were going to see. And that he became the leading game player at 303 games for the Sydney Roosters, breaking Anthony Milicentola's record. It was so, I don't know, I got, I got goosebumps. I, I actually, the hair on the back of my neck actually stood up when I watched the, the, the Roosters run out on the field this weekend and make a, a, a wall of honor for him, a tunnel of honor for him to run through. Because one thing about Abo is he is not one of those guys that likes a lot of fanfare. He's had a tough year. He lost his father at the beginning of the year. So it was very emotional. And they all ran out. Abo said he would not lead the team out onto the field. That just wasn't, he didn't feel comfortable doing that. So instead, they all ran out and made a, 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 a tunnel of honor for him to run through. And watching him run through that, trying to act like it's, you know, I'm just, I'm just here to play a game, but trying to hold back the emotion uh, was something really special to see. Now, if I was just talking about that for him being my number one gun for the week, that would be okay. I, I guess you could do that. But then the man goes out and scores the first try of the game. And then he gets another one. So for the match, for his 303rd match, he had two tries, one line break, two tackle breaks, and 109 total meters. And this is a guy that just came back from an injury as well, where some people thought that he was going to be lost for the season. So raising a glass for you, Mitch, Mitch Oppison, that was impressive. I think everybody dreams about either their 200th game, let alone their 300th, let alone their 303 and breaking Anthony Milicello's record. So hats off to you, and what a way to do it in style. My number two. Now I might take a little bit of flack because the Blue and Gold Army don't think I talk about them enough. I love you, Dom. But my number two gun is King Gutho. And you're saying, Who? And you know what I'm talking about. Clint Gutherson, the captain of the Parameda Eels. And I will tell you something. Clint Gutherson looks like he could possibly be a, 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 an insurance salesman or a, or a bartender that might, how should I say, be, might be friendly with a few of the young ladies that might come in to the bar. He's got that swagger. He's got that smile. But I love to watch Gutho play because the heart that Clint Gutherson plays with and the pride that he takes the field with every week. And to think that Manley somehow let him go, that Parramatta could get him, to see what, the, what type of player he is right now. 
Gutho, week in and week out, is that player for Parameta that's leaving it all out on the field. He's covered in sweat usually. Usually his hair is still not out of place, ladies, though, I know. But Gutho is a baller. He is a straight-up gun. And and I probably, he's one of those players that you say when you watch the game that week in and week out, you could probably have him as one of the top 10 players and sometimes even the top five players of players of the week. But he's always going to be in your top fires, top, excuse me, top five players who played the hardest for their club and played with the most respect. And Gutho turned in a, a performance this weekend. Two tries, one try assist, five tackle breaks, 20 offloads, 109 total meters, and 71 kick return meters. Just think about that. He did all of that in one game. And when I say that the guy is the heart, the heartbeat of that team, I don't. I, there's nothing else I need to say after just seeing those numbers right there. And you have to remember, this is a paramedic team that had really been struggling over the last few weeks. And I, like I said last week as well, what better team to pump you up and to get you focused and feeling better about yourself than playing the Brisbane Broncos? But I digress. But Gutho got it together, got it going, got the Eels firing, and gave the Blue and Gold Army a real reason to maybe, hopefully, cross your fingers, think, possibly, are we going to be marching in to the finals on a winning streak? And trust me, they're going to be up. The Eels are going to be up for this match this weekend against West the Tigers, too. They know it's Benji's last game. And, and just as much as the Tigers would love to knock the Eels out of the top four, those Eels would sure love to send Benji out a loser. Let me just put it to you that way. So that will be another fun game. But King Gutho, you're my number two gun of the week. We finish it off this week with Outside the Bubble. And I, I promised you guys a well-rounded show that would talk about a lot of the ins and outs of the, of the AFL and the NRL and the comings and goings and the heartbeats and the feeling and what I saw, what I felt. Just giving you knowledge. Exactly. Just giving you knowledge. But outside the bubble, we want to just talk about other sport. And I've seen some really crazy things this week. First off, I saw the Death Star get opened up in Vegas. And all my Aussie brethren... My, my Kiwi brethren, I know all of you have either pilgrimaged to Las Vegas or you've dreamed of going to Las Vegas. I know most of you want to get married by Elvis, but that's something between you and the king, and I don't want to even touch that. But the Las Vegas Raiders, let, I'm going to let you think about that for a couple of seconds. Yes, I said that. The Las Vegas Raiders not the Oakland Raiders, not the Los Angeles Raiders, but the Las Vegas Raiders opened up their stadium, which they're calling the Death Star. That's right. The Silver and Black have now called their stadium the Empire's number one killing weapon, the Death Star. And by God, is it a stadium. I, I, don't, I don't know if, if they are actually selling plots for you to move in but it might not be a bad place to live too because the Death Star is damn impressive. 
And I may not be the biggest Raider fan. I don't really have anything against the Raiders. But that is a heck of a stadium. But you know what's really crazy when you open a stadium called the Death Star? When there's no one inside of it. And, and, and to look at a stadium that is as, as impressive as the Death Star, the Raiders stadium, and to see no fans whatsoever. And the brightest thing in the stadium are the guys on Monday Night Football's jackets in honor of ABC's Monday Night Football's anniversary. It was really strange. But the thing that was even maybe even more strange is that the Raiders weren't the most penalized team on the field during the game. The Raiders beat the Saints after falling behind 10 to nothing. And I know everybody who threw their entire mortgage to their house on a bet that the Saints no way in hell were going to lose to the Raiders. Well, I think they're doing a good what? Yeah, they're doing a good special on 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 RVs now. Yes, yeah, yeah. Cuz you lost your home. That's right. The Raiders came back and beat the Saints 34-24. Now, I don't know what was more impressive. The Raiders showing heart. Carr throwing the ball around the field, doing checkdowns. Or was it that the Saints just seemed out of whack? They just did not seem to be firing on, the all, on all the same cylinders. They just didn't seem, Drew Brees just seemed uncomfortable. And, and that does, th- those words coming out of someone's mouth isn't said often. Drew Brees seeming uncomfortable. But before we jump off the cliff and first off anoint the Raiders as being the AFC's team and the, and the biggest threat to the Kansas City Chiefs reign or, or throne, I think the thing that a lot of people have, come in, have been coming to first, most of all, is are the Saints done? Does Drew Brees need to just walk off the field now? Is he just, uh, you know, he's past his prime. And when I hear people say that, I quickly find out how many people have not thrown a football before and don't know a damn thing about the game. And the way, the reason I say this is you have to understand there are a few different types of quarterbacks. There is a quarterback that's a rhythmic quarterback, which is your Tom Brady, your Drew Brees. There are your quarterbacks that are quarterbacks that can improvise on a dime, that can throw from any angle. And that would be your Deshaun Watsons, your Kyler Murrays. And I might even have a different category for Kyler Murray, and and we're not going to get into it this week, but I have a feeling we'll be talking about him down the line. And then you have, right now I'd say the GOAT playing in the league, the guy that can do it all. And that's the number one five for the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm going to let you think who that is for a second. That's right, Patrick Mahomes. You're done. Yes, Patty Mahomes is that guy. But I'm not going to go into these other quarterbacks. What I'm trying to tell you is, we talked about this earlier today, that there's been no preseason. There's been barely any type of contact drills. So how is a quarterback that's a quarterback that's a rhythmic quarterback like Brady and Breeze supposed to get into a rhythm when they've not seen live drills and contact and shifting of lines and 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 nickels nickel coverages and banded backs and all this type of stuff that you have to feel comfortable with if you're going to manage a game and to get into quote unquote rhythm so so before we start 
rolling the wheelchair out to roll Drew Brees off the field, everybody. Let rhythmic quarterbacks, Tom Brady and Drew Brees, get into rhythm, and they will be fine. Mark me on this. Email me, text me, tweet me, throw a bolt of lightning at me. I don't care. Know the position before you run your mouth. Give these guys time to get into rhythm. There's a reason you just don't lose it overnight. And maybe these guys can't throw the ball 60 yards on a fly like Patrick Mahomes, but they're cerebral assassins and they will get it together. I'm saying he's got the keys of the car, Drew Brees. He's got everything he needs. He'll be fine, everybody. Trust me. Drew Brees will be fine. My number two point outside the bubble is the Denver Nuggets. I don't know if you guys have been watching the NBA Finals, but I will tell you, I would say in the last five years of watching sports, the Denver Nuggets are in my top two of teams that have shown heart that I can remember. They may be my top team. The Denver Nuggets, just, just, they just won't die. This is the third series in a row where a team thought that they had choked them out, and all of a sudden they became Hulk Hogan on that third arm lift up. All of a sudden it stops halfway down and it starts to shake. Hulkamania running wild, that type of stuff. The Denver Nuggets should have won game two over the Lakers if it wasn't for an Anthony Davis last second three in the Mamba jerseys. And when you see a team that's as young as the Denver Nuggets and they lose a game like that, nine times out of ten of a young team just says, these guys are just great and we're done. As the great Charles Barkley would say, and I love it, it's one of my favorite sayings, one, two, three, Cancun. Season over. I said that too fast for Charles, didn't I, everybody? One, two, three, Cancun. There you go. But instead, what do the Denver Nuggets do? They show up last night, and they beat down the Lakers and make it a 2-1 series. And leaving the floor last night, I just got this feeling that the best team in this series isn't the team with the best player in the NBA. But the best team might be, and let me say that word again, team might be the team from the Mile High City. Because even though they are down 2-1 in the series, they are one buzzer beater three-pointer away from being up 2-1 in the series themselves. And a lot of the pundits and the news writers are all thinking, what's wrong with the Lakers? And you have to understand, in every series up to this point, the Utah series, the Clippers series, and now the Lakers series, the Denver Nuggets have been down two games to one in each series and have come back and won. Now, let's be honest. Those two other series, they weren't playing LeBron James. They're not playing a LeBron James who feels he should have won the MVP 
And they're playing with a LeBron James who wants to win a trophy to honor Kobe Bryant the year that he has died. So that's one thing they've never faced. But my friends in Australia, get to bed quick after the, after the matches this weekend and wake up early because tomorrow night's Nuggets Lakers game is going to be something special. I, I just promise you it will be something special to watch. And I really, it's a pick to me still right now. I still, you still have to lean towards the Lakers because they have LeBron. But Jamal Murray, you know, and the Joker, those guys are not going away. So that's, that's my number two outside the bubble. And finally, I finish off the outside the bubble with something that you may not ever hear me talk about again for the next year, maybe year and a half. And that is NASCAR. I'm holding that pause right there for a second just just to make you understand that I just said NASCAR. Folks, I don't know if you know the history about NASCAR. NASCAR is is a sport that's very much big down south. Um, A lot of people didn't know about NASCAR until they watched Tom Tom Cruise in Days of Thunder and heard Robert Duvall say those famous words. Cole, I put some specially matched tires on your car. You can pass. That's right. That's how I found out about NASCAR, Bobby Duvall. But NASCAR has been a good old boy sport for a very, very long time. And NASCAR has also been under a shroud of a flag that that in, in some ways has alienated a certain group of people from following the sport. And that's the Confederate flag. And we're not going to get into politics today about the Confederate flag and, and you know, if you like the Dukes of Hazard or anything like that. But the Confederate flag to a group of people in, the, in, in our country is almost like if you would hold up a swastika flag in front of somebody who has Jewish heritage and ask them if they have a feeling about it. And they're probably going to Hopefully not rip it out of your hands and hit you with it, but they're going to say, yeah, it makes me very uncomfortable. It brings me great pain in my heart. So this flag has flown over NASCAR for quite a long time. And the other thing about NASCAR, if you want to make it all inclusive, is that people have to feel inclusive by looking around the crowd and seeing somebody else that looks like themselves. And I don't know if you've ever looked at a crowd of NASCAR, but it is very, how should I say, pigmently challenged. Not many suntans in that crowd. So this story that just broke a couple days ago with Denny Hamlin partnering with the great Michael Jordan into starting a NASCAR team really made me take a step back and go, wow. And then I found out that Michael grew up going to NASCAR races with his family, that his dad would take him to NASCAR races. And being a North Carolina boy, that makes sense, I guess, right? But to really go into ownership of a NASCAR team with his good friend, because, Na- because Michael Jordan and Denny Hamlin are really good friends, but to go on to this, and then for something else to happen, about five to six days ago, Bubba Wallace stepped down 
after the end of the season from driving in Richard Petty's number 43 car. And I was like, wow, that's kind of strange. But, you know, things happen, right? But it didn't add up. It just didn't really add up. And then when I heard this, it all fell into place. Because the next thing after hearing that that Denny Hamlin and Michael were going to start a NASCAR team was they said they couldn't think of a better face to face their team and to drive for their team than Bubba Wallace. And think about this for a second. A man that if you ask anybody who their favorite athlete might be, no matter if it's their favorite sport or not, there are a lot of people in this country that say Michael Jordan. And I don't know what this man is going to bring to NASCAR. I'm saying Denny Hamlin, he, he couldn't surround himself with a better partner, let alone they both like each other and are good friends. But to say that I really want to go in here and to change the landscape and to make it feel like a truthfully inclusive sport after some of the things that NASCAR has gone through this week, this year, again, who hasn't gone through things, but that's been a little bit trying. And to say that Bubba Wallace is going to be our face, and there's already big talk that Bubba Wallace is one of the most popular drivers in NASCAR right now. And truthfully, the only thing Bubba's done is he's taken a runner-up at Daytona. But it really makes you to pause and to think for a second. What is the message? And how loud will the message be? I don't have the answer for that. But I'm hoping that maybe I'm not doing what I said to start this topic, that I'm just not talking about NASCAR a year and a half from now. And that I'm talking about it more recent and, and sooner and saying, wow, it's really impressive what NASCAR's done. Uh, and, and congratulations to Denny Hamlin and, and, and Michael Jordan for taking this risk and, 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 and looking at the results they've done and, and seeing Bubba Wallace achieve what I think the guy really can. But it's going to be exciting to watch. And, I, and, you know, that's why we do this, right? That's why we love sports is because we don't know. And in one match, no matter if it's rugby league, Aussie rules, NFL, NBA, one match is a lifetime. It's the beginning, it's the middle, and it's the end. And we get to experience it together. And we get to cry for our favorite players if they get hurt. Or we get to feel that that acid in our stomach if we think, oh boy, can we hold on long enough? Or are we really going to get this victory? But it is a lifetime. And that is why we love it. And that's why we love sports. And that's why sports bring people from totally opposite parts of the world. People from different opposite parts of the town. Different colors, different races, different creeds together. And you may not know anything or any, or any place that, that person is from, but you see them wear your favorite team's jersey and instantly you guys smile at each other and you acknowledge one another. I don't know why it takes a jersey or a, a, a logo to make people feel close to one another, but it does. So maybe this, this bridging of the gap of, of NBA and NASCAR, Jordan and Hamlin can do something that I personally think that we all need. And that's to give everybody a shot and look at them as the person they are and not what they believe, what color they are, or how bad of a haircut they may have. I'll leave you with that. I hope you've had fun this week. I know I have. 
Shedheads, I don't know what you're going to bring to your neighbor's life, to your spouse's life, to your dog or cat's life, but make it exciting. And by God, I can't wait to talk to you next week. But like I always tell you, stay out of trouble. Don't get caught. This has been Outside the Sheds. I'm your host, Corey Jackson. See ya. And that was another fantastic episode of Outside the Sheds with Corey Jackson, talking all things NRL, AFL, and all things sports. So please remember to smash the subscribe button and share this with your family and friends and show them what Australian sport is all about. 